Welcome to the CIO Evolution. In this podcast, we'll explore the Chief Information Officer's role in executing a new ongoing leadership imperative, digital transformation that promotes agility and resilience. How do CIOs upgrade legacy networks? What are the financial challenges CIOs face? And what are the security measures that are required in the new work-from-anywhere mobile and cloud-based world? I'm Phil Armstrong, and I'm delighted to be your next host of the CIO Evolution. Today, we'll explore the implications and impetus behind the U.S. federal government's memorandum for the executive departments and the agencies, Memo M-22-09, issued on January the 26th, 2022 titled, Moving the U.S. Government Towards Zero Trust Cybersecurity Principles. We'll explore the intention and contents behind the memo, the deadlines set forth, and discuss the factors required for success. I'm delighted to be joined today by two distinguished guests. In our virtual studio today, we have David Kajigal and Hang Sang Bei. Gentlemen, perhaps I could ask you to introduce yourselves to our listening audience. Let's start with you, David. Uh, thank you, Phil. And I'm happy to join both you and Han Sang in this uh, session. And uh, my background is that I served as a state CIO for Wisconsin for nearly eight years. And prior to that, uh, almost seven years with a, a utility in Wisconsin. And I think that'll come up uh, very important as we talk about the federal government and our infrastructure. Thank you for the uh, opportunity again, Phil. Thank you. Hansang? Thank you, Phil. So my name is Hansang Bay. I, um, I cut my teeth in financials, actually, about 15 years in Citigroup, dealing with all matters of networking security. So, you know, when it comes to regulatory compliance, lived it, uh, breathed it, and uh, lost sleep over it. So quite familiar on that ground. And also uh, today I um, concentrate on public sector uh, chief technologist for Zscaler. And uh, so my focus is on DOD and uh, government. Thank you, Hansang. Well, uh, welcome gentlemen. Let's dive right in. So let's talk about this memo and its implications and timelines, just to bring the audience up to speed a little bit on what this is all about and to set some context. Maybe, David, you can kick us off on what your understanding is of this memo. Well, uh, first of all, I think uh, the memo comes at a very good time. I think it underscores a sense of urgency. Uh, why did the uh, president of the White House issue this? And I think it's a signal to the importance of tackling this uh, perhaps a very uh, monumental task. And may I quote you, Phil, uh, based on your prior writings and your, your sharing knowledge, uh, the reset is necessary. We have a decades long uh, defense in place in both public and private sectors. Uh, that castle moat, the, uh, the old way of implicit authorization of uh, moving around in a network and among applications, that's passe, that's yesterday. And I think we're all asking ourselves to move to a zero trust environment. So the presidential order, even using the vernacular of zero trust is very important, a sense of urgency and the statement of zero trust. But then that bleeds into the definition of zero trust. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But I, I think the, the timing is right. And I think starting with the federal government, the private sector can lend in hand as well as use lessons learned in future efforts. 
Yeah, there's some massive shifts going on in the industry around cybersecurity, and obviously the federal government's not immune to those shifts. Um, Hansen, what's your what's your take on this memo? Yeah, I think um, it's timely because there's technology now that can do this. So, you know, some of the audience may remember uh, not too long ago there was this, you know the, all the rage of NAC network access control, and it was an abject disaster. Um, the idea was that the network could be the arbiter of who gets on and who doesn't. Sounds great because you know the network is the sinew that holds it ties everything together. What people didn't realize is that that's completely orthogonal of what network is supposed to do, which is ubiquitous access for all. Uh, in fact, Ethernet went so far as to say to make sure there was no prioritization built into Ethernet protocol, unlike Token Ring. That's how much the the founders of Ethernet said, hey, uh, you know, ubiquitous access for all is important. So trying to turn that completely around and make the network the guardian was a recipe for disaster. And many, many companies paid uh, as a result of that. So now what we're saying, right, the term zero trust, it's been hijacked, I believe, because, you know, when there's a hot technology, every vendor comes out from the woodwork. And the first thing they update is a website saying zero trust, zero trust, zero trust. Never mind, they have nothing to do with zero trust. So, you know, fundamentally, what is the executive order and what does it accomplish? It's that least privilege, right? Give access to people to get their work done, but give them the least amount of privilege so they can get the work done and nothing more. And that is as easy as that sounds. There hasn't been a tool that was available to the practitioners of network and security to make that happen. And so I think now the technology has caught up where the mandate is realistic and doable in a timely fashion. And the one caution I would say though, is that for all of you who've been doing this a long time, you can't do it with what you have because if you could, you would have done it already, right? So just be mindful of that. There are newer tools and technologies available and newer companies uh, to help you on this journey. So gentlemen, on January the 26th of this year, we get this memo from the executive office of the president and it outlines some new roles, some dates. Do you feel that this memo is an attempt to try to light a fire under this initiative, to, to bring a sense of urgency and to put down some concrete markers around progress and, and, and moving the government towards measurable, actionable items? Is that what we're seeing within this memo, David? Uh, yes, and I and I think we we need to certainly manage expectations. I don't know that anybody believes that this can all be resolved in thirty or sixty days. It's managing expectations. It's carving up the entire effort, and at least acknowledging that I, that I could get a quarter of it done, or I could get three quarters of it done. Of it done, but it's a matter of developing the roadmap, setting priorities. But the first step. In, in my background in the state of Wisconsin, uh, I serviced more than 50 agencies. No two agencies were the same. So if you're, if you're telling the, the federal government to do this, agencies will begin to look at their own assessments and where they are. Are they serviced on premise? Are they serviced in the cloud? Is it multi-cloud? 
uh, situation for them. So I think a, a good place to start in underscoring the sense of urgency is where are you today? Can you provide context as to, is this gonna be an easy or hard lift? And then begin to manage the expectations of whoever gave them the order. It all trickles down from the president down to a secretary down into the agency and working that uh, cascading responsibility downward, uh, being able to move it back up into the president's office is being able to understand how much effort this is going to require. Uh, it, it, and I'll just repeat myself again, manage expectations, provide some context of what really needs to be done so that you have a good solid roadmap and a plan. And if I may leave you with this one thought, they created JCDC, the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. That's engaging the private sector. There is no federal agency that can do this alone and Zscaler stands at the ready to be able to help. And, and David, you know, picking up on a quote you just said there around cascading responsibility, Hans Sang, in the memo, which I read with some interest, it, uh, for the first time, identifies a new role. They've identified um, a requirement to establish a zero-trust strategy implementation lead for each agency, and that person is going to be responsible for driving a zero trust architecture and a zero trust strategy through each agency. What's your thoughts on this new role that's been identified? And maybe you could talk about what, what you think might be some conditions for success for this role to be either highly effective or, or are we gonna see that they got, they're actually just uh, gonna be very ineffective? Yeah, Phil, so I kind of chuckled at that when I saw that because you know there are certain <laughs> jobs and positions that's equivalent to a third rail right um, i'll give you some examples from in fact some of you may be faced with this network segmentation you might have heard that that's kind of a third rail right because it can't be done so you're setting yourself to be uh, um you know to fail uh, if you're tackling that big problem <clears throat> again because the network is supposed to be ubiquitously connected now in zero trust I, I alluded to this earlier, with what you have, it just can't be done, right? Um, but there are techniques and relatively easy things that you can adopt to help get you there. So I think if you woke up and you said, oh, this is my new hat now, take a deep breath. Uh, there are vendors, right? David mentioned that, that uh, commercial technology and et cetera are going to assist. Take a deep breath because now you have the wherewithal to be able to accomplish this in a relatively short time, given the timeline that the government usually operates in, right? And I think this was why that memo had some tight deadlines to keep people moving and accountable because there is a way to do this. This is not, you know, this kind of the ongoing never ending project where there is no finish line because it just gets, it's a blob, right? So I call these the blob projects where it just keeps expanding. You never finish and you get tired of it and you hope something else comes along. Well, guess what? Something else did come along. And I think this is something that is integral to every nation, every government, every company to make sure that the least privileged principle is, in, is ubiquitous throughout the company. So, you know, again, take a deep breath. We're here to help. And I think you'll find that um, there are certain times in technology where there is true transformational change. Local area network kind of started that from the tyranny of the mainframe. And I think we're at a precipice of being able to have, you know, where security gets out of the way, right? Where it doesn't, it 
security should not be the forefront of every user. They shouldn't have to click through five, six, seven different warnings to access the application. And Zero Trust allows that to happen. You can have security, but also be on the background guarding and watching over that user uh, as opposed to constantly interjecting yourself to provide that protection. So I think this is one job that I would love to tackle and I would ha be happy to partner with and uh, assist. And in fact, um, we we'll talk about this later, but we already have many, many hundreds of government um, customers who've already got a jump start on zero trust. So, And David, you've worked within government for many years and, and you look at this establishment of this new role. Is this a sacrificial lamb role or is this a really highly charged change agent? What's, what's your thoughts on this uh, in, in terms of uh, the effectiveness of an individual who uh, takes up the new zero trust strategy implementation lead role. It will be a, a, a very uh, important role. And, and I'm vacillating back and forth between it being a strategic thinker versus a technician. And I'm leaning towards a strategic thinker that has delegation responsibilities, uh, a team effort, if you will. I don't know that there's a person walking the planet uh, that will be able to do this by themselves or be able uh, to have some substantial leadership capabilities to pull this off. So I, I'm leaning towards a strategic thinker that understands the importance of this shift and making sure that they have the, uh, the charisma, if you will, the energy, if you will, the courage to change, because the next step will be addressing the culture that they live in. And that culture of adoption and flexibility and understanding the seriousness of, of this sense of urgency of, of moving to a zero trust, is, those are all critical ingredients. Uh, I, I think there will be some people who will shy away from this, but I think there are also some people who understand firmly the need to do this. There is no recourse. There's no option B or C. We need to move to a very explicit authority of accessing the network and the applications. Uh, you can't have, as, as Hans said, uh, the, uh, the implicit access ca capability, the kinds of things that exist today. We cannot afford that any longer. The attacks are becoming uh, so frequent and so complex. They've stolen many credentials and the millions of dollars of defense that we've put in place are for naught, they're, they're, they're negated when the, these uh, phishing emails and, and all these uh, uh, hacking of credentials have taken place. So getting back to this crit critical role, uh, we need to be careful who we charge with this. We need to make sure that this person will succeed, give them all the support that we possibly can. And, and as I said earlier, be able to manage through the expectations day by day by day with an endpoint in mind. And I, I, I think if you, if you chunk it up as we use in our IT vernacular, if we chunk it up and we understand this milestone first, then the second milestone, and then we build upon our successes, but the role is very critical. You can't have somebody who wasn't doing anything take this on. You've got to make sure that this person has a reputation and credibility for accomplishments, as well as a reputation within the organization that is respected by the top of the organization. Yeah, build a network around them to make them effective and give them the resources that they require to be effective as well. I think the memo actually says that each agency needs to forward a name in this role within 30 days. So that's one of the timelines. And then the other timeline that's interesting 
a zero trust strategic plan needs to be submitted within 60 days for each of the agency. Is 60 days enough time, Hansang, or have they been working on this for a while? Yeah, I think that the code word there is strategic, right? Because you have some maneuver uh, room there. They're not asking for an implementation plan. They're saying, uh, what general direction, what general technologies do you have to address, et cetera. So the one guidance that I would have is that it's easy to want to jump in there and start seeing what to fix. Um, the problem is that approach would take 10,000 years. For this reason, I'll give you a concrete example of I'm sure what everybody faced today. So you have a firewall, you did an M&A, or you might have a firewall as just general protection uh, in your organization. Count how many rules, permit rules are in there, and count how many times you remove the rule. My guess is like most companies, you have thousands and thousands of rules that everybody needs right away, right? So you, 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 everybody scrambles to put a firewall rule in because there's ramifications of X, Y, and Z and billions and billions of dollars. But everybody's scared to remove that rule because they don't know who still needs it, right? So think about that. And I'm sure a lot of you are facing that. Now magnify that by a factor of 100, by 1,000, orders of magnitude. How would you ever fix that? You can't. So the good thing about zero trust is that it's not a fork and lift. It's something that can live side by side with your existing infrastructure uh, because it augments what you have. It doesn't need to replace it on day one, right? So you can actually do this in an organized fashion, but the job is one, get the architecture going, architectural council <clears throat> going, right? You as a network pr practitioner or a security practitioner don't know what's important for the mission of the unit or the government or the company, right? You're, you're providing a service, uh, you're a utility. So let the architectural council dictate what's important to the company in terms of whether it's, it's profitability, intellectual property, mission, posture, et cetera. So get that tier one, tier two, tier three important application, find out how bad or how wide uh, the the access to that application is, and there's you know we have some white papers written to help you with that. And then once you figure out, you know, are there barbarians at the gate? Are they a mile from the gate? Are they inside the gate? You can prioritize by trying to cast a wide net, where it gives you uh, a good start to zero trust. And it sounds it's actually easier than you might think if you choose the right solution. Uh, and then that gives you the ability to buy some time and then become more and more surgical as time goes by. So from a strategic standpoint, 60 days is enough to set a general course. And then it gets very, very busy after that, because that's where the rubber meets the road. And David, what's your thoughts on the mechanics that's involved for each agency to get a a zero trust strategic plan prepared and submitted within 60 days. Is that going to be a challenge for some of the agencies? Or I would imagine some of these agencies have been working on this for a while. It's not new, but maybe some of the other agencies are not as quite as prepared. Certainly executive sponsorship at the top. And I think we have that with the issuance of the EO, the executive order. And then as we have alluded to earlier, perhaps a committee, uh, either whether it's executive committee or or a uh, architecture committee, somebody that will be monitoring and tracking and, and holding people accountable. A strategy that has roles and responsibilities, well-defined roadmap, timeline, 
set of the agency priorities, which agency is going to go first and which one is going to go towards the end. Uh, cannot forget about the cultural adoption. We've, we've seen this play out before, and some agencies are very adapt adaptable to change. Others are resistant. And from my Wisconsin days, I, I could understand the spectrum of, of cultural differences between agencies. And then there's change leadership and change management. Change leadership is quite different than change management. Who owns the message? Who is the advocate? Who is the evangelizer? That comes from the top. Change leadership is extremely important, selling the proposition of zero trust. Change management's for the details and for the folks to be able to adapt to a new world. And then I can't stress this enough. Do we think we have enough cyber professionals to pull this off? And are there enough in the country to be able to do this? And I think uh, it would be helpful if we understood how many we have today, how many do we need to recruit, and how many will we have to transform the old mental model of cyber defense to zero trust. Even the existing cyber professionals need to go through a big swing and shift and to be able to do that. I'm, I'm very concerned about the lack of the pipeline. I'm very concerned about the burnout, fa burnout factor of cyber professionals. And I guess as, as I leave this, uh, that might be a critical point is who is going to do the, the, the shift and the lift. Yeah, the war for talent in, uh, in cyber is a global phenomenon. And I think uh, uh, we need to start looking into the supply uh, how we actually train people, get them through courses, universities, and uh, really bolster our supply because uh, certainly that's a challenge going forward. Part of the memo talks about um, five strategic key pillars, uh, CISA's five pillars, and I, I believe that's identity, devices, networks, applications and workloads, and data. And my question to you, gentlemen, would be, um, if you look at these key pillars and the challenges that the feds will face for a fiscal year 24 implementation, are we taking the right approach? Are there going to be major obstacles to this? Does it, does it sound about right? Is the memo really encapsulating what we should be doing? What's your thoughts on that? Let's start with Hang Seng. Yeah, I believe it is. So if you kind of, you know, I jokingly say that, um, for those of you in the US, you might've seen this commercial, right? Every kiss begins with K. This is being recorded on Valentine's Day. So I bring that up and that's true. That may be true, but every app starts with a DNS, right? Um, and that's how the entirety of the internet works is that you resolve the domain name first. So on the government side, they do have a pretty good handle on uh, the DNS infrastructure that needs to be encrypted, that needs to um, go in it, that it's protected. So that's job one. Um, and then there's various other things that are happening in the DOD, comply to connect, for example, right? So identity isn't just about your username, password. It's about two-factor. Two-factor uh, is obviously immensely helpful in uh, protecting that. So I think starting with identity, uh, identity providers and uh, multi-factor, that's a good start because the good thing about zero trust is that it starts from the very beginning of the user's workflow to the very end. Network plays a minimal role in this, uh, as you'll see, even though zero trust seems to imply there's a lot of network thing that, that's happening, and there is, but it's more in the shadows as a facilitator. So the comply to connect, the identity, job one, uh, device, of course, that matters, right? Are, is it geo-locked? Is it stolen? Is it, what's the posture? I'll give you a 
Great example. So at Zscaler, if I don't have my Zscaler agent running, I can't get into Salesforce, right? And if you have the agent up and running, you can get into Salesforce. Something as simple as that can thwart unwanted access to Salesforce. So we're building up layers of security that are invisible to the end user, but yet additively, it becomes a very potent um, weapon against cyber leakage and whatnot. And then of course, on the application side, the, you know, there's, of course, there's WAFs of the world, uh, web application firewalls. And again, these point solutions, they have a place, uh, but if you read the scathing report on the DOD's approach to the Castle and Moat um, defense they've adopted so far, and an IG report came out recently, it was, it's incredibly scathing. They basically mm -hmm. said it doesn't work, right? Because, and here's the reason why, you can't have security where the application of the user has to come to the appliance to be protected. That is the last thing from zero security. Zero, zero trust, excuse me, zero trust means that there's kind of an angel on your shoulder watching over the user and guiding them how, wherever they may go, wherever they start to make sure they have the right access to the application. And again, it's an invisible hand that helps the user in protecting that posture of security. And then of course, data paramount, right? If you, you know, as you go through this zero trust exercise, keep three things in mind. Where are your users? Where's your data? And what application do they really need? If you keep those three things in mind, then you'll have a, a better at, uh, success rate to reaching zero trust as opposed to getting into the minutia of what policies and what roles. And those things were all come at the tactical level, but the five things, the, the FISMA, the pillars, I think is a great way to focus, give laser focus to the architects. And, and if you read the memo, I think it's a really practical approach to try to introduce a bit of urgency here, to define some roles, to put some timelines on this, and to, to light a fire and get some momentum going across the different agencies. And, and at the end of the memo, as I said, it mentions these sort of strategic goals and five pillars and, and an approach. David, what's your thoughts on, on the approach? Are we missing the mark here or does it, does it sound about right that, we're, that the memo really does kind of articulate a fairly good direction? I, I think it does. Uh, but the, the, the biggest message coming from the memo is a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we need to gravitate to. Okay. I, I have a, a really deep concern about the success of this effort. Everyone is going to be watching the federal government take this on. And I know others have, have already addressed it. Others around the peripheral have already completed their, their transition. But a lot of uh, companies, both public and private sector, will be looking at the success of the federal government accomplishing this. Some of them will look at it and hopefully they will be successful. And they're going to say, me too. This is easy. We can do this following the federal government's lead. We're hoping that they succeed. Any, any sense of failure will give excuse, will give others, this is too hard. I'm happy with the prior defense. It's adequate, it's fine. Uh, a, a sense of denial, it says, we don't need to do this. It's gonna cost us too much. Uh, the change is gonna be horrendous. I'm hoping that we can hang on the coattails of a very successful adoption of zero trust by the federal government and learn from the lessons that, that they will experience and be able to share that through the vendor communities, Zscaler being one of those uh, that will be helping. And I, we, we must recognize that it's not one company. It's not a silver bullet. It's partnerships 
of private sector helping the federal government accomplish. I think uh, Jay has mentioned before that Okta is very good in identity and CrowdStrike is very good at the device level and we stand to manage the zero trust architecture in the cloud. So I think it's, it's safe to say that the federal government needs to know you can't pick one vendor to accomplish this. They need to be a partnership of, of the private sector to assist. And gentlemen, we could talk about this memo and its implications and success criteria all day. Unfortunately, we're at time. And Sang, over to you, you get the final word. Yeah, I think um, if you're getting ready for a PO to buy an appliance, stop, do not pass go, do not collect 200. Uh, appliances <laughs> won't help you here, right? It, it will help you later, but that's not how zero trust works. Again, because the data cannot come to an appliance for it to be zero trust, okay? so. Do that. The other thing I will say is that, you know, there's a saying in woodworking. I do a lot of woodworking, or I like to think I do a lot of woodworking. And it's that in the first project, you go to school, you learn what to do, what not to do, how to get better. And your secondary and third project becomes much better. So when it comes to zero trust, it's, it is rather new as a technology goes. And Zscaler has over hundred government agencies that have already adopted the zero trust and they are well on their way to doing this. So make sure that you know you think about who you bring in to the table, that they have some school of hard knocks, that they've gone through the maturity cycle of this zero trust technology and uh, be very wary of kind of you know bright shining star that's been around three months because you can't make up experience. That's something that only time gives you. So be careful uh, when you're looking around and shopping around for consultation and or implementation help. Yeah, great, great insights. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time today and for joining the CIO Evolution podcast. Thank you for sharing your insights with us. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, over the next 30 and 60 days and how this memo lands. I think we're all quite excited about the fact that it is advancing the zero trust architecture and cause across the US federal government. And we're hoping that the right criteria and success factors are put in place. Thanks for listening to the CIO Evolution. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find more episodes along with other podcasts on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of the recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.